I think we were one of the first fishing businesses to put the word wild catch in our name or wild in our name because people were asking, oh, do you aquaculture your fish? And I said, no, we're a wild catch fishery. And so we wanted to make sure our name said where we were, which was the Coorong, that it's wild caught. This is Fishtales, a seafood podcast. I'm John Sussman. Stormboy lived between the Coorong and the sea. His home was the long, long snout of sandhill and scrub that curves away southeastwards from the Murray Mouth. A wild strip it is, windswept and tussocky, with the flat, shallow water of the South Australian Coorong on one side and the endless slam of the Southern Ocean on the other. So begins Colin Teal's Stormboy, one of Australia's best-loved children's stories. Since 1964, the book, the film and the play have evoked and defined this wild, beautiful and unspoiled area where the Southern Ocean blows up sand dunes so steep and so high that even four-wheel drives have trouble traversing them. The Coorong is a unique and beautiful wilderness, a place of wind and water and vast skies of sandhill and tussock, lagoon and waterweed, stone and scrub. Fishing in the lower Murray Lakes and Coorong region has been documented from as early as 1846. From a peak of some 150 fishers in the mid-20th century, currently there are 37 licences. The fishery retains an owner-operator policy to ensure that those who understand the fishery and the environment are the ones who catch the fish. Today the Coorong also has a 47,000 hectare national park, which is not only wild, isolated and remote, but the same could be said of the small group of artisan fishers working these waters. Husband and wife team, Glenn and Tracy Hill, operate Coorong Wild Seafoods. They fish using low impact methods and are truly committed to working with the environment they're in. Yeah, well, we're, um, we're located down at Meningi, which is in South Australia, which is about an hour and a half south of Adelaide. And we're right on the Coorong and Lake Albert at the end of the Murray River system. The Coorong, well, as Tracy said, is at the end of the Murray. Uh, it's a culmination of one-seventh of Australia. It drains um, that far. The Coorong is salt water. Uh, the Murray runs into the Coorong and the mouth is at the same point. So there's around about 100-odd kilometres, 100, 100 to 160 kilometres of area that um, is salt water and subject to evaporation. So the upper reaches of the Coorong is um, uh, quite hypersaline. Because it's an estuary system, it's, um, it's got fresh water coming into it. It's got uh, seawater coming into it. The evaporation, of course, means that um, the other end of it is hypersaline. So it's a very dynamic system and varies between a year like it is currently, which is a lot of fresh water coming out, through to something like the Millennium Drought, where we had no water for oh, about 10 years and uh, was subject to only seawater. For Glen Hill, it was a love of fish that drove him to fishing. Fishing can be as much an art as it is a science. Commercialising the craft of artisan fishing can be time-consuming, demanding of persistence and ingenuity. Tracy's journey into the business is a story of how a strong partner can create more than the sum of the parts. Look, I'd always been drawn to fish um, from a very young age. A um, bit of a funny story about standing in front of a, 
um, the local fish shop window when my mum used to drop me there to go off and do the weekly shop. And um, and I, she'd come back and pick me up and I'd be still enthralled by the fish. So from a very early age, I was drawn to fish, but it wasn't until I actually got here that I went, oh, I could be a commercial fisherman. I went out with a bloke over here, went out fishing with him, and, and I recognised that it was something that I'd be able to do and that I could afford. I started fishing in 1990. Feels like about 1890, but um, so 30 plus years. Glenn was um, mainly fishing for the market and he came home from the fish market one day and he said, I got 30 cents a kilo for my trunks of mullet. And I went into Woolworths that afternoon and saw fillets for 14.99 a kilo. And he said, someone's making money and it's not us. He said, we're going to start filleting our own fish. And I just rolled my eyes and I knew what was coming <laughs> because I was working in a bank at the time and uh, so we would fillet fish and then Glenn would go and deliver them himself. Um, but I, as our orders increase through word of mouth because people like the quality of our fish and our reliability, um, we just started getting referrals and orders left, right and centre. And so I had to make a decision whether I was going to stay in the bank or I was going to go and um, join our business full time. And that's when we became Kurong Wild Seafood. Uh, we started processing in 1992 and we were just a partnership at that stage. Um, but within about four or five years, we, we knew we had to um, expand the business and we bought another fishing licence and started employing more people. And yeah, we, we decided... We'd, we'd attended Seafood Directions, which is the seafood conference that we have in Australia, uh, in 1999. It was the first one, and we sat there and went, oh, my God, this is a huge industry with huge potential. And so we really started telling everyone we were commercial fishers and we were proud of it. And I think we were one of the first fishing businesses to put the word wild catch in our name or wild in our name because people were asking, oh, do you aquaculture your fish? And I said, no, we're a wild catch fishery. And so we wanted to make sure our name said where we were, which was the Coorong, that it's wild caught. The Coorong geographically lies between Goolwa in the north to the tiny hamlet of Chinaman Wells in the south, with lakes Albert and Alexandrina, the principal fishing areas. The water is brackish in the northern lagoon and more saline in the southern lagoon. The diversity of geography, hydrology and topography of the region makes the range, volume and species of fish found vary not just by the seasons, but also by the availability and quality of the water, often influenced from further upstream in the Murray-Darling Basin. So the species is the, the primary one is a yellow eye mullet. We identify it as being Kurong mullet because it tastes really nice. Um, in, in comparison to the same fish but taken from elsewhere. Uh, there's the Mulloway, uh, Southern Black Brim and Flounder within the Coorong. Pippies on the ocean beach and in the freshwater component uh, we have Golden Perch, Redfin, Carp and Bony Brim. Well, all the species need to be able to cope with those conditions. Apart from that, you've also got the winter and summer thing, which means that the water can get down as low as, say, 5 degrees and up as high as 30 degrees in summer. 
So all the fish need to be able to cope with the very extreme conditions um, and uh, the amount of salt that they can tolerate is dictated by, by what used to happen. Now, what that means is that since white man has turned up, um, extraction has been happening in the river system and that has meant that we have higher evaporation or same evaporation but less capacity for freshening. Uh, so that is pushing salinity in the top reaches past the point of where fish can survive. We probably have half the Coorong that um, the fish are able to survive in now. That doesn't mean it can't be turned around, and uh, we've sort of been working pretty hard at that, uh, both as a fishery but also individually as well. Since early European settlement, commercial fishing in the lakes and Coorong region has played an important role in establishing and maintaining the adjacent and surrounding coastal settlements. Fishers are mainly concentrated in regional towns of Meningi on Lake Albert, Goa and Murray Bridge. Um, there is no typical day. Every day is different, particularly in the Coorong. But um, let's assume I'm going fishing for mullet. Um, in summer, I'll go out and, and I'll be actively fishing. Um, the temperature of the water uh, means you have to do everything you possibly can uh, to keep the quality in the fish. Of course, in summertime, that's extraordinarily difficult um, for for your sleep time because you're out at night most of the night, and then you then you're working during the day as well. So you get a bit of a sleep next winter. <laughs> In winter, it's a bit easier. Uh, with the water being a lot, lot colder, uh, you can actually set overnight, and so you get home and actually manage to get some sleep. But um, with the advent of seals, all of that starts to change. So everything now is driven around whether you have seals in the Kurong where you're fishing or not. The Lakes and Coorong fishery is one of the most boutique artisan fisheries in Australia. Fishing methods remain much as they were when the fishery was first established, with techniques demanding a deep knowledge of the seasons, conditions, microclimate and species. It's a gillnet fishery. Um, they are 50 metres in length and um, uh, we tie them together in whatever numbers that we want to set with. Personally, I use about three. I'll have them ready in the boat, and uh, it's a case of throw the anchor out, um, throw your end boy out, and then just start backing the boat out. Um, now, generally, I'm doing that fairly quietly because you don't want to be spooking the fish or anything. The three nets go out, the last anchor goes out, and, um, and I'll then head off and set another line a bit further up. Depending whether I'm actively fishing or not, I might come back to that line pick it up, get what fish are in it out, or I might actually run around it and see if I can spook some fish into it and uh, and pick it up that way. Um, but of course, everything's also sorry. Everything's also driven by the wind. How much wind there is, whether you what you can do, um, how dangerous it is. You might just whiz out and set the nets and just get back to the bank. The paramount thing for us is quality. Uh, and so we will bring the eskies full of fish uh, back home 
out, out of the boat they come. Um, they go into the our heading room and uh, we take them out box by box, put them through the scaler. Um, they get headed straight away and into the chiller, ice down in half boxes and and then into the filleting room, processed and um, washed and packed into whatever our orders are or packed into backpacks for a freezer. There is a constant cry by many chefs, often perpetuated by a romanticised perspective of popular media, that they are produce-driven, with their menus a reflection of both time and place. The reality of supplying wild-caught, seasonal, regional seafood can be somewhat more difficult. Fishers by nature are opportunists and must take the task of hunting for fish when they can. This doesn't always suit the demands of a chef needing to design a dish, write a menu and ensure he has inventory on hand to cook and serve. The direct supply model for wild-caught fish demands much of both the catcher and the cook. We rely on what the customers want, basically. So um, we built a we built a processing premises that would uh, be able to handle the volume of fish that we were processing. We have, uh, have had up to um, four or five filleters working for us at any point in time. Not so many now because we, our volumes have, have reduced. Um, we'll talk to chefs and ask them what they're interested in and if they want whole gutted fish or um, scaled or split filleted or they just want fillets, we have to then um, set up the order system and get the people um, organised to do what is required to get the fish in the format that they want and then um, it's we'll set the process going and then usually it's a case of trying to get them on some sort of transport. That's our hardest thing with living down here not on the main transport routes is getting fish to transport. It's the most difficult thing we have. Chefs quite often need a bit of um, walking through uh, the what's available, when it's available. Um, it's quite often, you know, they'll, they'll be asking for Mulloway when it's not Mulloway season, so we've got to try and explain that to them. We do have quite a few chefs that are very comfortable with our frozen backpacks because they have tried our product, they, they trust it. Because um, there are a lot of people who go, oh, frozen's not as good as fresh, and we keep trying to tell them sometimes what you think is fresh in a shop isn't necessarily as fresh as you think it is. So that's that's an education process with the chefs and the retail outlets, and um, then we, I deliver the fish myself to a lot of places. So Thursday is our fish delivery day. And I get to talk to the chefs in their restaurants and see what they're doing with the fish and uh, let them know what else we we can offer them. So it's a very good, very good communication process, um, and that's that's paramount to having a good good customer relations. Well, it changes the processing because you know, for instance, we're sending fish to Josh Nyland at the moment, and he wants them whole. He doesn't want us to touch them at all. Now, we're, we're usually reluctant to do that, especially with mullet, because um, leaving the guts in on a mullet is um, not our preference because in transport, you know, they, they can tend to, sometimes tend to squash a bit and, and we don't really want them turning up with um, their excrement stains on them, if you want to 
put a put a, um, a name to that. Um, so, but if what we've done then is we've packaged the fish in a way so they minimises the ability of them to be um, damaged during transport. So they're it's a bit of feedback from the customer, and we'll adjust our processes accordingly. There are many influences on a wild catch fishing business that can have positive but often negative effects. Larger operations may be able to weather these changes or have the means to move easily to a new business model. For smaller operators, change can often mean the end of the road. Having to affect significant change more than once in a business life can be devastating. For Tracy and Glen Hill, transforming their business has been necessary several times. Well, when the when the seals were really, really bad in the Coorong and really hammering our gear and, and um, making it difficult to catch things like the mullet and mullaway, we thought, well, what else could we try and do? And at that time, carp was seen as a bit of a the um, problem in the river system, or it still is a problem in the river system. And we decided we'd try and put it into a format that we could perhaps promote into... Um, uh, restaurants and and the uh, you know the household, so we um, started processing carp, and um, so that was that's something that's still ongoing. We, we're getting a bit of traction with it. The main problem is to do it in more than just um, small volumes. You need machinery, and uh, unfortunately, we're not in a financial position to be um, buying you know hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of machinery so it will probably take some sort of support by by grant or a or an investor or someone so we, we're just using it as a bit of a bit of a um, promotion of carp as a as a eating and table fish um, and then that ties into our next pivot for uh, it's an overused phrase but it, it describes it um, is tourism we we always had the vision of showing people what we do with our fish and we've been doing factory behind the scene tours for a while but now we've actually built a boat um, and we're starting to take people out on the Coorong and the lakes and showing them what we do and how we do it. We've got a deck, what we call a decky experience tour that we do where we take people out and they we actually teach them how to set a net and retrieve a net and pick fish out then they come back to the factory and do a uh, filleting lesson and then they get to eat the fish the, that they just caught. So, you know, that's something we offer as well as other other experiences out in the, the beautiful national park of the Coorong. In the words of the American civil rights activist Malcolm X, the future belongs to those who prepare for it today. The importance of being able to plan, to be constantly aware of both the social and commercial environment you are in, and to be optimistic can be a rare but exciting trait in an individual. Businesses in the seafood industry that have these traits are rarer still, but often much more exciting. I've never ever looked at the fishery as being an end point to it. Um, I, this fishery is a, is a great fishery. It, it's got so many opportunities. And as soon as there's a, any sort of a threat, rather than Rather than dwelling on that, you've got to try and find find the way. Um, we've always gone, the future is bright. Um, it, it just simply is, provided you can fix any of the problems along the way. And I mean, um, 
for example, I've got to keep coming back to water. The, um, the, the water has been uh, the number one thing, even more so than seals. Um, while seals have been dramatic for us, without water, you don't have anything. And uh, upstream states have taken so much that um, we really have got a limited amount that comes across and into the Coorong. The, the barrages, for example, to keep the lakes fresh were built in, um, they were completed in 1940. And so from that day on, we no longer had the tidal influences. We lost 90% of the estuary to Mulloway, for example. Um, so some seriously dramatic things have um, have changed with, with water. And it, to the millennium drought, it was constantly just going backwards. And we fought and we fought and we fought and we fought. And um, at the culmination of the millennium drought, while it was terrible, was a really good thing because it got people to understand, oh, my God, we can lose the Coorong. And from there on, departments started going, what can we do better with this water? And so uh, our voices that were just something in the wilderness suddenly became um, important. Uh, and, and so we ended up, you know, like, like I say, brim, uh, numbers of brim. Um, Mulloway have increased in um, uh, big numbers just simply because of the way they're releasing attractant flows. So it's all about water for us and, um, and that management of it includes us now. Well, as far as the fishery goes, um, there's huge potential if we, if we get a recovery in the um, est estuary. However, for our own personal business, um, we're getting on a bit now. We're getting a bit, um, you know, it, it is physical hard work. I see Glenn getting, you know, it is it is harder for him now um, to do the work and that's one of the reasons we were transitioning to the, the tourism is to um, transition out of the hard everyday fishing and, and then we can just go fishing for fun and do the tourism side of it. Um, as well, carp I think has got huge potential. Um, there, it everyone who tries the carp that we catch and cook for them have been blown away, and and they can't believe how good it tastes. And recently, we had um, Mark Best do a masterclass at the Sydney Fish Market Seafood School, and the participants would they just couldn't believe that they were eating carp. So I know once we can get it in people's mouths. Um, their perceptions will change, but it, it it is going to be a bit of a uphill battle, and I think we're equal to the challenge. We managed to do it with Kurong mullet thirty years ago, um, so hopefully we can do it with carp too. So I think the future is bright. You've always got to have a plan B. I think we're up to plan X, Y, Z at the moment, but we're still in there fighting away. The story of Glenn and Tracy Hill is both a warning and an inspiration. Despite their fishery being subject not only to the impact of climate change, but also the national issues surrounding the flow of water through the Murray-Darling Basin and how big farming several states weigh is the most determining factor on their livelihood, the future for their fishery looks extremely bright as they continue to be optimistic, reactive and committed. The opportunities that we've, we've had, a lot of it comes from 
a, a changed circumstance. Uh, and while most people tend to focus on how bad something is, what we do is recognize that with any changed circumstance, there's an opportunity. And so we spend a lot more time than most people working out what the opportunity is, working out how to, how to um, uh, make the most of that opportunity. So, um, and that, that has sort of put us at the front of, um, of what we do. And given that, there's people from all walks of life that are coming to us. We're, we're sort of go-to people. Um, what do you think about this? What can you take us and show us? Show us about this. Would you come and talk about so and so? So we've had this over and over. Um, we've had opportunities where we've gone to America, um, and it's all because of this um, TV shows, all sorts of things, and it's all because we've gone. What can we do about it, rather than how can we cry about it? I love the people that we meet. Um, you know, we've been involved in farmers markets and food and wine festivals and tasting Australia and the delicious awards and, and a whole heap of conferences where we've been able to speak to people and all the chefs we meet and all the people that we've met over the years. And that, that to me is the highlight is the, is the wonderful people that we get to. Uh, interact with and educate and entertain as well. We, uh, Glenn tells some really, really bad dad jokes, but he, he has people hanging, hanging on every word when he goes on a tour and they come back and tell me that, you know, he's an absolute nutter, don't you? <laughs> so no, it's, it's all the people that we meet. That's the highlight for me. As long as the environmental drivers of the fishery are not negatively affected in any significant way, the Lakes and Coorong commercial fishery should be operating for another 160 years. And who knows, maybe the hills will still be part of the fishery in some way. This is Fishtales, a seafood podcast. A Deep in the Weeds production, I'm John Sussman. Follow us on Instagram at Fishtales Seafood Podcast or email us at fishtalespodcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay tuned for more tales from beneath the surface of the seafood world every Friday on your podcast app.